The king couldn't sleep. He was up. He was moving through the hallways, moving through the courtroom. He was so frustrated that he just gathered all of his advisors together. You see, the king had been having these visions and dreams and thoughts, and he didn't understand any of these weird gray parts of the dream that he just couldn't understand. So he called all of his, all of his wizards, all of his advisors, all of the magicians, and he called a couple of young men who had grown up in Jerusalem and who had been kidnapped during a war and brought into the king's empire. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, Daniel begins to speak of the unknown things that the king was troubled with. And he says that God reveals deep and mysterious things. And he knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he himself is surrounded by light. Aloha, y'all. And uh, once again, uh, thanks for letting me be a part of your weekend worship service. It's so good to be able to open up the word and to talk about God and who he is in his word to my church family. Last week, we took a really Deep dive, deep academic. One of my good friends who lives in Iowa emailed me right after he saw the message and said, man, a lot of information, very much information packed, very strong, very deep, very boring. I mean, hey, let me just be honest that there's a lot of information in that, but I actually uh, got lost myself. So, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a step back. I did that for a reason. And the reason why I did that is because as our pastors have been saying, we're getting ready to step into the series about Jesus. It's important to know what the Bible says about Jesus, and it's important to believe the Bible when it talks about Jesus. It's important for us to understand that the bedrock uh, is the word of God. So if you're thinking in your mind, anchor church is like an anchor, and when the waves of culture come back and forth, the anchor grounds itself into the foundation of God's word because God says, what, am I like a man that I can change my mind? And if God is true, then, then, then wouldn't his word be true as well? That says something about his character. But tonight we're going to kind of pull back a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about something practical. So I was visiting with a number of our, our, the, the pastors that you and I uh, learned from, and we were talking about a, a, a kind of a series within a series. The questions that we always ask, the questions that we always wonder about but are afraid to ask. And one of the things that we talked about was how do we know that the Bible is historically accurate? Well, that was last week. This week, we're going to take a look at, at, at kind of a different, a different thing because the Bible speaks on so many things and we know that God is very clear in the things that he says, even if they can be difficult to understand. Places like 2 Peter chapter 3.16 says this. But I personally think, and I would say that you do as well, it's the things that God doesn't say that give us difficulty. The, the gray parts, so to speak. In fact, we see this a lot in the Bible. David in Psalm chapter 10 says, why, O Lord? Why, O Lord? Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 15, why is my pain unceasing? Job says a number of times, why do I labor in vain? Why do the wicked live? Why do they reach old age and grow mighty in power? Solomon says, why do you forget us forever? 
It's kind of drastic, actually, but it's, it's still very true, right? We have these feelings, and God, I don't know if you're exactly addressing some of these things. The Bible, you're very clear about some things, but other things you're not very clear on. I think that's because living by faith requires that we grow in our trust that God is just as wise with the words he says and then in the things that he doesn't necessarily say. He's as clear with the information that he gives as he is with the information that he might not give. When I was a senior in college, I ended up taking uh, quantum physics as a class. Now, before you think anything complicated, just understand, I didn't want to take a fourth year of language, so I had to pick an option, right? And uh, guitar was like totally full, and they were canceling the tennis program. So I had to take this other thing. And so when I was in physics class, they talked about the idea of dark matter, that in outer space you have matter, which is tangible things, and then you have dark matter, which is untangible things, but that dark matter was just as important as having matter, and I think, I think it's important because I think you and I have a tendency in our own lives to live by looking into God's word and being like, well, God's word says this, so I have to do this. But then God doesn't really say anything about this. So maybe I have this opportunity to kind of just do whatever I want to do. And then, we, and then we end up getting in a trap and we end up blaming God that we're in a trap when we do the things that we want to do and maybe not look for those places that he may be speaking even in the silence. Let me give an example. I asked a number of people these past couple of weeks, what are the three big areas that you think you ask God time and time again on and you seem to get this kind of ambiguous gray kind of answer where you don't really have an answer? We have all these in life. So as, as, as Pastor Carl has mentioned, uh, I've served for a, just a few years in the military and 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 I've had the opportunity to travel quite a bit. I remember in 2006, I was actually in New Orleans on day two of the Katrina flood, and I was with a patrol unit. I remember seeing all the different devastation, all the homes, all the animals, even humanity just devastated. And I remember asking God, why do you allow that to happen? Just a few later, years later, I found myself in West Africa, and I was there kind of escorting a group of physicians and doctors. And we were over there because it was a humanitarian act of service where our country had sent these doctors, our churches, everybody had come together and we were helping people who had been displaced out of one country and being literally dumped in another country because of what was called uh, tribal ethnic cleansing, that one tribe was getting rid of another tribe in this country. It was on that trip that I remember holding small African children and they were literally dying in our arms because they had been starving to death for weeks. Malnutritioned, malaria, dehydrated. And even a few years later, I found myself on the Jordanian-Syrian border at a, at a Syrian refugee camp where I saw women who were with their children, who, many who had been orphaned because their husbands had been killed and, 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 and tortured to death. And they were driven out of the country and into Jordan. And Jordan wasn't letting them into the country because of some political reasons. So, so, so we Westerners had actually set up tents for these refugees to live. And women who were constantly being bitten by snakes at night on their cots. Children who were badly burned because of villages that they had to rush out of. God, where are you in these things? Maybe yours isn't as deep. Maybe you've wondered in the past recent events, why have I lost a job? Why did I lose this friend? Why did I lose this dream? 
God, where are you? Well, I'm going to take three simple points in the Bible and maybe, maybe hopefully this will build a construct for you where you can see that like Daniel, he is a God who reveals mysteries. And even though things seem dark, he is surrounded in light. Let's talk about one of these big issues. A lot of people tell me, hey, Trev, the creation story, man, it's like kind of hard to get my mind wrapped around. Is it really the six days? Is it, is it this? Is it that or whatever? Because God says so little about his creation of the cosmos. And it shows us that in Genesis chapter one, it's actually a massive biblical example of what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12 says, we know only in part. Genesis chapter one has 31 simple spirit-inspired verses that tell us that God created the world in a certain sequence, but they gloss over an astronomical amount of detail. They resemble many different ancient creation myths, which leave a lot of skeptics to go, hey, I don't even know if that creation account is even real or if it's truthful. It's interesting because even though they resemble, they make remarkable sense the more science discovers things about the universe. These gray areas in the account and in the Hebrew language have spawned debates for over 2,000 years. So why doesn't God say more? Why doesn't he do more in this. Well, one reason is to humble us. Genesis 1 shows us what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is talking about, that the foolishness of God is still higher than the wisdom of man. You see, God chose a creation account that would provide a basic, accurate understanding of creation for his people for thousands of years, in thousands of cultures, with many different levels of understanding. You see, when he's giving his creation account, he has to be able to speak to the educated person as well as the illiterate listener. It needs to be stated by word of mouth and yet taken account in seminaries and universities. The creation account was developed from God because he knew that there would need to be a child to understand it and yet a professor of dinosaurs to be able to work through it as well. And that's what we have. It's interesting that the Bible explanation of creation has taken a Conor McGregor beating, and yet it still stands. Its apparent simplicity contains carefully designed gray areas, making it the most resilient and most culturally and scientifically adaptable religious account of the origins in all human history. And it's continually humbled both believers and unbelievers since the moment they first started reading Genesis 1. Let's take another subject, maybe a little bit less huge like creation. Let's talk about sex, okay? The Bible is actually very clear in both Testaments that sexual immorality profanes God's holiness and is therefore prohibited. We see this in 1 Corinthians 10, Numbers chapters 25. And the Bible's pretty clear that intercourse is reserved for marriage, but what else? I mean, for a dating couple or a couple that's courting, how far is too far? I love talking to people like, Pastor Carl and, 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 and different pastors that we have where, where they worked with youth. I was a youth minister at one time and I'll never forget, we, ha- we kind of came up with these rules. In fact, when we were getting set up for today, we were joking about going to those conferences where you, you put on a ring and you're gonna promise to be pure and all this kind of stuff. But do we get that in the Bible? Because the, the Bible isn't really highly detailed in its description of where the line of immorality is crossed. I mean, is there any part in the Bible where touching is allowed? And if so, what about kissing? 
What about embraces? Are you supposed to do the side hug, leaving room for the Holy Spirit kind of deal? Or, or what about intimate conversations? What about texting? Why doesn't God say more about the rules about what we're supposed to do and not do on different dates? Well, one reason is because God's will for us, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is sanctification, which means he wants our hearts, not our behavior. And what our hearts really want can be revealed as much in how we respond to moral ambiguity and how we respond to moral clarity. I'll never forget one time I was in a meeting where several of us were going to be asked to be church leaders. And one guy jokingly raised his hand. He said, if I'm going to be a leader in this church, how many miles do I have to be away from the church in order to drink a beer? And in his joke was this. He's like, I want to know the rules so I can find the loophole because if I got to be 50 miles away from the church to have a beer, then when I get 51 miles away, then I'll crack a cold one, right? But I love what the pastor's response was. And even though the guy wasn't being serious, the pastor did respond seriously. He goes, I want you to walk through every moment in every life where there's a gray area and I want you to pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And that goes this same area like sex. You see, God wants us to wrestle with gray areas knowing that there's what Hebrews calls a holiness without which no one would see God. I mean, how are we to love Christ and obey commandments in places like John 13, John 14, um, to love one another, or, or like in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where it says we're to help another pursue a pure heart and good conscience? How do we do that when we must discern what purity means for us in our place in the world, and maybe even in our place in history? You see, I think God leaves some of these gray areas also open, for us individually to encourage us to pursue holiness and to make this pursuit adaptable to the cultures that we live in, the time periods that we live in, and the individual people that we come into contact with. You see, God wisely determines that we should not be governed and detailed by rules of sexual purity, but in Romans chapter 14, look at this. It says, we should be guided by the principles that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says that we must love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So instead of setting up these rules that you and I are going to naturally look for loopholes in, because we're sinful people, right, before we meet Christ, is that we need to understand that God says, no, 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 I want you to ask yourself on every date, in every situation, no matter how many years you've been married, how do you treat that other person? Is it for your selfish gain or is it to glorify me in that relationship? That's what God's asking. All right, big one like creation, an intimate one like sex. Let's kind of talk about a fun one. What about the gray areas about something like, I don't know, the second coming, right? Interesting. So the first coming of Jesus was cloaked in prophecy. You see, Jesus comes just as the Bible was written about him, and yet so few people even recognize that he came. I always thought about that. How did everybody miss the boat on that one? He came in a way that no one expected and he did what no one expected also. It's all there in the scriptures. And I love that in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says that even those that followed him and were under his teaching, they didn't fully see it until he helped them see. I think the second coming of Jesus is gonna be similar. You see, we have the prophecies, but the timing and the events 
And the meaning and symbolisms in scripture have provoked incredible debates through the history. I mean, think about this. If you've grown up any time around church, I remember when I was a kid and, and we'd go to church and I'd always get fired up because, so like back in the old day, they used to have church like on Sunday night that was like a, like, like a service from the morning. It was, sometimes it was a continuation and sometimes it was like part two and then sometimes it was like, oh, I don't know, you just went. I, I remember I always used to get frustrated because it meant that we had to miss the fourth quarter of all the football games that I wanted to see. But I would always get fired up because we'd always have like a traveling guy come in. He was usually a really large guy who had like a very short tie. He was very sweaty and he would do a lot of yelling and there was a lot of charts on the wall and he was going to tell us how the whole thing was going down and I loved it because I was a big science fiction fan right and I could just think about like lasers and scorpions and centaurs coming out of the sky I I I did take a lot of sugar before I went in there we talk about end times and we're like man there's all these theories but why doesn't God say really a whole lot and he does say a whole lot but there is a lot of gray area for that One reason, I think, is because God always wants Christians to live in a dependent expectation of his return. So every now and then you'll hear our pastors talk about where they went to school. Go Mustangs, right? That's where my daughters go. And so in the wake of that, imagine yourself in high school again and the teacher comes up and the teacher says, I'm going to give you a big test and it's going to mean everything for your grade and it's going to be four weeks from now. If the teacher says that, some of you listening today are going to go, man, I better start studying right now. And then some of us, We're going to be like, dude, last night, we're going to pack it all in, go into Denny's. We're doing an all-nighter. Denny's was a restaurant that used to be open before the COVID time, just for those of y'all that didn't know. So here's the deal. We have a tendency to do that. If we knew the exact date Jesus was coming, then I think some of us would be like, well, then I'm going to live however I want. And then on the day before, I'm going to be like, yo, Jesus, sorry, please forgive me. And then we go in scot-free. Now, what if the teacher said, I'm going to give you a test and I'm not going to really, it's going to be everything for your grade and it may be tomorrow, it may be the next day, it may be this afternoon. You and I would immediately start getting prepared. Luke chapter 12, verse 40 says, the son of man is coming at an hour that we do not expect. Luke 21, 36 says, he does this because he means for us to stay awake at all times and to keep our lamps trimmed as Matthew 25 says, which means we need to be ready and prepared. You see, God knows that you and I are going to fight against sin and our sense of urgency for the mission is better served knowing Christ could return at any time rather than thinking that he would be long delayed. So in the areas of creation, in the areas of places like sex, in the areas of second coming, we see that there's a lot of gray areas, but we also see that God has a plan in doing those gray areas. So what am I saying? In the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish traditions, the rabbis used to teach that the words in the Bible were sacred, but so were the spaces in between those letters, which lets us know that God is holy where he speaks and God is holy where he's silent. And I think we have to ask ourselves individually and personally, if we're going to build this deep relationship of being followers with Christ, then I think what we need to do is we need to say, God, I'm going to obey what you've written And I'm going to really listen to you and find the wisdom in the silence areas. So rather than filling it in with our own opinion, by the way, when you fill God's silence with yourself, you're making God in your own image, which goes against the early commands. None of us would say, well, I'm going to make God my own image. Well, then why do we live like that? Now, listen, so much more could be said about what God doesn't say. 
But what's important is to remember this. God is very wise and intentional in what he makes clear to us and even in the things that he doesn't make clear to us. Jesus, he totally understands the word and the cry of why. If you'll say, remember the time when he's on the cross in Matthew 27, he says what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what is God's response? Silence. Does that mean that God does not love his son? Does that mean that God didn't have a plan for his son? There's no thunderous answer. So in dark silence, Hebrews 12 tells us that he endures the cross for our salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says he wants us to live by faith, trusting his reliable promises more than our unreliable perceptions. Maybe when we wonder how could a loving God do this, maybe we need to quit defining what love is and we need to let God define what love is and then change our ideas about that. That's where you let the wisdom of silence come into play. You see, God's wise silence in the dark matter of divine relation is that God has a trustworthy process in not telling us everything. Because of what he does makes clear in life, we can learn to trust him. So if God wants to bring clarity and order, then we can trust him on the moments when he speaks and we can trust him on the moments when he's silent. Because we can believe this, God, I trust that you're good when you speak. So when you're silent, I'm gonna trust that you're good as well. Let me close out with this. You ever have those friendships where you may not see each other for a long time, but when you see each other, it's like you pick right up. You see, God wants to have that kind of relationship with us where, 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 where he wants us to be with him all the time. He wants us to always stay, as pastor says, in, in, in constant prayer, as the word says, in constant prayer. But yet he also wants us to understand that sometimes there's an intimacy. In fact, let me, let me even go even deeper. Have you, for those of y'all that have been married and, and have been in deep, deep relationships, when I look at my wife, Danielle, which will be married 22 years now, Sometimes I don't even have to say anything. Just a look communicates the history, the struggles, the good and the bad, everything together. And by a look back, she's able to communicate without a word. And I do it all over again in a heartbeat. What an act of intimacy. What an act of love. You see, sometimes God speaks and sometimes he doesn't. The point is that we have to be remain so close to him that we catch his glance and we can feel his presence even when there are no words. May you today seek God in such an intimate way that you can say, listen, God, I am sorry that I have not always listened to you when you speak and I've not always listened to you when you're silent. I've not always waited for you and I've made my own decisions. Would you forgive me? Because the Bible says that when we come to him in forgiveness, this is First John, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and forgive us of the sin. So Lord, would you forgive me of that kind of rebellion? Thank you that you actually died for it already. And would you please start speaking to me again? And I'm listening. In fact, maybe if you've never done that before, what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to pray with me right now. God, I'm asking for those people that feel like you have been so quiet for so long or that they're struggling with a gray area that they can't seem to find an answer on. Remind them that you are right there. 
Father, maybe this is the first time somebody's ever prayed before. And, I, and, and, and maybe they feel that you've never been around them very close. But Father, remind them you've been waiting for them to simply say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've been doing my own thing. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And please come into my heart. Be my king. You take over. I've got a mess and you can clean that mess up. So I give it all to you. Lord, I also pray for that person who's had that relationship with you, that even right now, they can rededicate and say, Lord, I've listened in the past and I'm listening again. God, bless these people. Bless us all. We, your servants, your people, are listening. Amen. Hey, if you prayed at any point, to receive Christ. If you've said anything along those lines about God, I'm sorry, or God, I want you in my life, or God, I need you in my life, and you, and you maybe have some more questions. Okay, okay, now what? I want you to get on your phone right now, and I want you to text the word anchor to the number that's on the screen right now. And as you do, you're gonna be met with somebody who this week can start filling in kind of those gray areas that you may have because there'll be some gray areas that you have that can be answered. And what I love about this church is that in the gray areas that maybe we can't answer, we say things like, I may not have an answer for you right now, but I'll walk with you through it. Listen, you may be watching today and you may be feeling alone, but you're not alone, friend. There are literally thousands of people that want to surround and come around you right now and be, let you know that you were a part of this cosmic plan. And while we don't know what that is, it seems like there's a lot of great, we will walk with you in it. On a final note, there's this story about the disciples. They're in a boat and there's a storm at sea and Jesus comes walking on the water. I'm sure a lot of y'all have already heard it. One of the things that caught me this week in the early chapters of Luke is the principle of that lets me know that maybe sometimes in these gray areas, he doesn't get me out of the storm, but he does get me through the storm. And friend, he'll do it for you too. So text anchor to the number on the screen. We look forward to seeing what God's going to do in your life even this week. Hey, thank you for this time. You are loved.